everybody. Welcome to Season 6, Episode 7 of The People's Project. Tonight, we are going virtual, live and interactive. We can take your questions. I'm here, of course, with Emily from Voice for Victoria. And we are going to be discussing all the world's greatest news, of course. No, not really. We are uh, looking today at, uh, well, shall we have a debate about PR Guy 17? Uh, what about Ozzy Kostak, who's been jailed for 10 months? This idea of uncomfortable speech and what we should do about it. We need to talk about why I think the Liberals are weak right across Australia. I'd like to talk about, well, I actually don't really want to talk about Roe v. Wade in the US. But I feel like we've got to say something about it. It's pretty big. And of course, uh, I think tyranny is limited by the people. So four very good segments. Let's welcome Emily to the show. Thank you for joining us, Emily. Thank you for having me. This is such a nice last minute thing for us to do. Um, it's been a while, but we always have fun when we're chatting, even if it's about some not so fun topics. I'm just conscious that my I'm working off a new laptop, so it's a bit weird for me, but we'll, we'll make it work. That's okay. We are joined by people. We've got questions coming on this laptop over here, which I'm just trying to read. Right. So if you'd like to give your comments, you should be able to see them as well, Emily. So feel free to mention those or address those as we go. But why don't we start right up front with um, the week, just in general? Do you think uh, the world is crazier or more sane than it used to be? Well, I was going to go to your comments about um, Ozzy Cossack. I didn't know he got... Um, sent to prison. So do we want to start with that? (laughs) All right, let's start. Uncomfortable speech, everyone. So we have found out, of course, the real identity of PR Guy 17 is uh, Jeremy Maluta or Jeremy Hewitt Maluta. Uh, Mm -hmm. And uh, we'll talk about Ozzy Kosek in a second as well. But shall we go to uh, PR Guy 17? I know you're a big fan of him. You live your life on Twitter. Emily, and uh, I've taken a lot of flack standing up for him. You have taken a lot of flack standing up for him. (laughs) And I haven't spoken to you about it yet, so I don't know if I'm going to get more flack from you. Uh, But this whole idea of uncomfortable speech, I mean, Ozzy Cossack has been jailed for 10 months with a six-month non-parole period today in New South Wales, uh, and he's been declared apparently a risk to national security. Now, just like PR Guy 17, I am not a fan of Ozzy Cossack. Uh, I know a lot of people won't like that, but I just he he baits the police a lot, and and the police behave terribly. I get it, but he he really deliberately tries to get arrested and so on. But I think he should not be jailed. I think PR guy is pretty bad, pretty despicable, but I don't think he should be uh, silenced. I what think, do you think about? Well, I think Cossack going to prison. I can't really make a comment on whether or not he should have because I don't really know anything about what charges he got brought up on. Um, I have a suspicion, and keep in mind I know absolutely nothing about this case, that he may have been on bail for something and then deliberately breached his bail. If I had to guess why he he ended up in prison, that would be my best guess. Sorry, I um, should tell you there is a reason why, so you can, before you comment. Uh, he was, uh, the court found him guilty of, I can't remember the actual crime, but it's because he he publicly named uh, someone who spoke at a rally because they have recently just been charged with child sex offences. So it was some kind of privacy type thing where he went around naming them and shaming them and he wasn't supposed to. Right. Ah, uh, okay. I'm just Darren having Hinch a style, look. you know? Yeah, hold on. I'm just having a look. Oh, wow. This really is Darren Hinch 2.0, hey? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so he went to uh, jail for um, naming a sex offender. Look, at the end of the day, you know, 
that sounds like a pretty consistent application of the law. So it's not, you know, whether or not you agree with it, that's a completely different story. Obviously, what happened to Darren Hinch as well, he was happy to serve his time. But in the context, it would be quite a consistent process at least. And therefore, the problem would be that if you don't like it, then you need to actually change the legislation and change the law. doesn't mean it's right. It just means it may need to change. Um, my perception on PR guy. Uh, well, same actually- thing. So PR guy was unmasked, not because of free speech issue, right? People are yelling at me because he, there was a legitimate, they're saying there's a legitimate defamation case against him. So legally speaking, he should be unmasked. They're saying. My, my perception is when it comes to anonymity online, there's two aspects. Number one is you have absolutely no right whatsoever to use a private platform. You have no right. You can have that taken away from you at any point. It's not your platform. Number two, when you engage in anonymous activity, typically speaking, there is a reason why. Now, there are a lot of valid reasons why people want to engage in anonymous activity, whether that's whistleblowing or the ability to sort of share information that they would not otherwise be able to share or whatever it may be. But I think there should be a line that if your identity was known based on your online behaviour, it would be considered socially unacceptable. So we're not talking about whistleblowing, we're not talking about anything like that, we're talking socially unacceptable. Then I think that that is the point where you risk losing your anonymity and I don't have as big a problem with it. Mm. And at the end of the day a lot of the reason I think most people who agree with the concept that people do not necessarily have a full and complete right to anonymity online is typically when that behaviour passes some kind of social boundary in terms of acceptable behaviour. Once you've passed that, you don't necessarily have a right to use that platform. And if you're going to engage with it in a way that causes harm to others, do you still have the right to anonymity? Now, because PR guy was not just some shitposting account. He would deliberately target people. He would deliberately attack people in the media. He would incite engagement against them. You know, he did a lot of things really intentionally. I mean, every single journalist hated him. I used to call him budget-friendly Geordies because he was. (laughs) He wanted to be like friendly Geordies, but frankly, for all Geordies' flaws, he's way smarter than PR guy. At least he can come up with some decent material or do some investigative journaling. All PR guy could manage was having a bitch on Twitter. So the interesting thing you mentioned here is about, you know, social, socially acceptable and, and so on, but we haven't really talked about the methods by which we, we sort of stop these guys from misbehaving. So the idea of uh, a private investigator going after um, PR guy, unmasking him, then people can shame him and, and track him in the streets and all that. I'm all for that. I just don't believe we should unmask him through the court system and purely because we are seeing like a long momentum of governments increasingly attacking our identity and our anonymity. And so I just think there's more, there's a greater thing to lose in terms of whistleblowing and others, not, not necessarily for PR guy, but I'm not really worried about him. I'm worried about the government who's, well, it's not the government, right? It's a, a court case, but the legal mechanisms through which to demask in defamation laws, which have a bad history in this country, at least in the last 20 years being abused. Mm. I'm, I'm just concerned about what they the overall, you got to remember, we had this bullying bill before. Um, uh, uh, I think we have one in Victoria, but certainly Scomo was touting it. We need to do this yeah. uh, digital identity online to prevent bullying. It's the mm-hmm. same thing as this pair guy. Anyway, look, Aussie Cossack. I, I don't. I don't think that having a digital identity online is necessarily the same thing as PR guy. What what the bill would do is essentially say, no matter who you are, no matter how you plan to engage with social media, however innocuous it may be, you have no right to anonymity. What happened with PR guy was you had to engage in systematic, proven and documentable behaviour to demonstrate defamation enough that a lawyer would be willing to accept money 
take it and go and receive a court order. You can't just, like, don't get me wrong, there's problems with the defamation laws in this country. I do agree. Again, same with the Cossack thing. Is it the application? Because the application is consistent or is it the law that's the problem? And if it's a law that's the problem, then you need to petition to have the law changed. And that's kind of how the whole process works. But I, I certainly wouldn't say that him getting unmasked and my personal opinion is it was not a particularly intelligent thing to do from Arby's perspective. PR guy was this strange little creature in the dirtiest corner of a very niche, mm. very small website. Yes. And what yes. he did instead was gave him a public platform on Friendly Geordie's YouTube channel, giving him a name and giving him a face, which means that now he can expand off Twitter because he's been unmasked. And Jeremy Luther goes ahead and defames Arby with a watermarker of his face. So it's just not gone well for him, unfortunately. But look, what about, uh, you know, you mentioned Friendly Geordie. So he's, he's uh, you come under attack through the New South Wales court system with his attacks on Barilaro and, and so on. And I think what happened that was, to Geordie. There was some very gross it's... stuff that happened to Friendly Geordie's with that. There was exactly. some very gross stuff. And I have to, uh, most people, I don't know, some people might be shocked, some people might not be. One of my closest friends is a huge Friendly Geordie's fan. And so um, if you haven't watched his episode where he trolls Barilaro by going and renting his holiday house, like you can think what you want of him, but I'm sorry, that has got to be one of the best <laughs> political trolls I have ever, that doesn't result in anyone getting harmed or anything. I didn't know um, he did that. Well done, Geordie. He went and rented his holiday house because he found it on Airbnb. So it was all legitimate. Oh, wow. There's nothing wrong. Oh, but yeah. he filmed an entire segment in the house and everything else, and it, it was pretty funny you have to admit anyway well so with you and i would probably be in agreement that friendly geordies here should not be attacked through the power of the state as he has been over his uh, trolling of barilaro and friends but my point well, here I, is I, that- I actually do have some issue with how friendly geordies conducts himself mm-hmm. so my biggest problem with him other than the fact that hyperpartisanship detracts from the validity of his message because if you can't see your own side as a problem then you're kind of useless as a, from a criticism perspective but when it comes to how he chooses to criticise people, he often makes fun of things like their appearance or their ethnicity mm. or their gender and makes remarkably inappropriate comments about things like that. And that I vehemently disagree with. I think mm. that if you have to use someone's characteristics that they can't help in order to make your point, then your point is actually not very good. And I understand yeah. that it's the it's- lowest form of humour on the internet. I get that. Yeah, but let's go um, beyond that. We, we know he's a dick, right? But what about the fact that he's an anti-terrorism squad to go after him? That's oh, no, wrong. don't get me wrong. Some of the things that happened with him were straight out disgusting. They were straight out corrupt. Um, he has achieved some remarkable things doing what he has and targeting that government. You have to give him credit for that. There's a reason the journalists won't say his name. Yes, Do you know true. about that? No, no. But I know I can imagine why nobody wants to get on his crosshairs because he'll destroy Correct. him. So all the journalists on Twitter, it's a joke. It's a joke on Twitter that he took so literally he made shirts and merchandise from it because they would never say his full name. They would put little stars or misspell it or something so that if he searched his name or one of his followers searched his name, they um, couldn't find it. And it was happening so often that these journos wanted to bitch about him on Twitter without him finding it that he ended up making an entire merchandise line that was like friendly Geordies, but it's got like all these symbols and bits blacked out and everything else to to try and show, like not say his name. 
Well, someone here is is just raising this issue for us, uh, commenting about what happened to Geordie's not being great. Uh, I find something interesting here happening that those who previously might like some of these people or not like them are switching sides. And that's really what I'm getting to at the end of this. Uh, whether I'm right or wrong, whatever. I find people who were at the past to say law is not a law if it's not moral and you should break bad laws and so on. Well, how come now some of those, not all, but some of those freedom fighters are now piling on to people like Geordie's who they may hate and we you know, are not huge fans of him as we've just said, uh, but to not afford him the same uh, standard, I find hypocritical. And I was speaking to someone that you would all know. I did actually name. post in support of his case with Barilara at one point. Great. But there are someone, you know, there's someone well-known that everyone watching will know in the freedom movement. I'm not going to name them, but they were, uh, uh, they've completely sold out their values on this. And and when confronted, they'll, they, you can see them publicly switching on a dime and you just go, do you, do you really understand what freedom means? Do you even believe in it? You're supposed to be literally at the forefront of that. Anyway, uh, really so that's <laughs> so the, the thing I just, I find it fascinating that it happens in the US all the time. I didn't think there's something here yet where if my guy is in, is, uh, is in trouble, then the law is bad. Don't prosecute him for defamation. But if the, uh, the bad guy is getting done by the same laws, then yes, he deserves it. And I think we need to be careful is all I'm saying and being a bit consistent on our principles. But oh, look, we need, uh, let's have a look. What's, someone says Four Corners did a full segment on AC several years ago, insinuating he and his fellow, oh, Aussie Cossack fellow Cossacks should be a threat within Australia. This is interesting because they apparently have declared him a threat to national security. And if you haven't seen the footage of a Russian diplomat standing up and naming Aussie Cossack, that is incredible. This guy's making waves. Now, albeit, you know, Russia's incentivized to push some propaganda, so they're looking for whatever they can at the moment, Mm -hmm. and they grabbed onto Aussie Cossack. But this guy made international news. So I will add that I don't know why, but I can't see people's comments. Oh, I'm trying to read but through them. Uh, somebody, who's who's that? Who's that? Uh, compare BLM protesters to lockdown protesters. Yes, that's true, Black Rod. There is a hypocrisy there. But I'm seeing hypocrisy on both sides. It's it's outrageous. Okay, uh, we need to move on because we've got four points to get through. What we really need to talk to now, uh, everyone, is why I think the Liberals are completely weak. Former New South Wales Deputy Premier John Barillaro has withdrawn from his role as the state's trade commissioner to New York. The decision came just a day after the first parliamentary hearing into the appointment and hours after his former Cabinet colleague, David Elliott, urged him to withdraw here on Sky News. A public backdown by a former Cabinet colleague. He shouldn't be going to New York and, I pre- and I, I'm pretty sure that that's the view of, of the, the majority of people in this state. Added to scrutiny of a $500,000 a year job as Senior Trade and Investment Commissioner to the Americas. Unfortunately, I do not have the capacity uh, to direct Amy Brown as the employer of this role on what to do. She has to come to that conclusion herself or John can make the decision that he no longer wants to do the job that he's been selected for. By Thursday afternoon, Mr Barillaro did just that. It is clear that my taking up this role is now not tenable with the amount of media attention this appointment has garnered. I believe my appointment will continue to be a distraction and not allow this important role to achieve what it was designed to do and thus my decision. 
I stress that I have always maintained I followed the process and look forward to the results of the review. There are two inquiries into the matter underway. Premier Dominic Perrottet claims Cabinet had no role in the decision. The government has faced weeks of pressure over the appointment, including scrutiny over the selection process. Mr Barillaro helped create the New York-based trade job in 2019. He applied for it after quitting the ministry last October. All right, let me ask you about your opinion on this. So John Barillaro steps down from his $500,000 New York uh, ambassadorship. So this is a role that John Barillaro, uh, the, the Deputy Premier of New South Wales, he created uh, before he left his his uh, being a parliamentarian or whatever, being mm-hmm. the Deputy Premier. Now he gets that very role that he created that didn't exist before. So everyone kicks up a stink, as they should, I think. Then he now he's stepping down from this 500k a year role, which is higher than any Premier in Australia. But let me also remind you of Barry O'Farrell, who resigned over a bottle of Grange, which he lied about mm-hmm. to the ICAC, I think it was. Uh, yeah. He says he forgot, but effectively lied. Um, Gladys Berejiklian resigned after potential investigations with ICAC. There's a pattern where politicians get a bit of a whiff at them, a whiff about them or a scandal, they resign. But the ALP, they have big cojones. And the biggest cojones of all is Daniel Andrews, no matter what. They just carry on. They stay strong. I mean, the idea, you you have to run us through this, but this whole appointing someone from the same faction to be Deputy Premier of Victoria, the ALP don't care. You can shame them till the cows come home and they just barrel on. And that's why they keep winning. Because the Liberals have standards and principles sometimes, and they and they go, oh, I have to resign. And the Labor guys go, the Labor guys go, screw you, I'm not resigning. And that's why they're winning. It's just it's just blanket audacity at this point. Um, In in relation to, I guess, the appointment of the deputy, that's far more of an internal squabble thing than anything else. There was a piece that came out, I think, in the Age today about whether or not he's handed her a poison chalice. So. He, Andrews essentially controls the party with an iron fist, let's be really clear. So, you know, there is the general consensus within politics that, you know, you, most of the leaders are figureheads. You remove one, you essentially have the same person in their place with perhaps minor differences. Like, let's be honest, if you got rid of Scott Morrison and put Josh Frydenberg in, the main difference you're actually going to get is probably just less embarrassing shit coming out of his mouth. Can I swear on this? I'm guessing not. Oh, I okay. can. That's yeah, it's be hosted on our website. It's on locals. You can say whatever you want on locals. It's all a scam. Oh, the no. earth is flat. <laughs> oh, God. Um, so <laughs> from that perspective, you know, you kind of have that understanding where if it was Albanese or if it was one of the others, odds are they're going to be the same. Whereas in Victoria, it's interesting because Dan has such an iron grip on things uh, and his supporters and his networks that if you remove him out of the equation, so one of the reasons this would have been done is to ensure that when he does move on, which would likely be after the next election next year, he is able to hand the reins directly to someone who's from his faction that he controls. However, she doesn't necessarily control the party room and she doesn't necessarily have the support of people in the party room. And so this is kind of, it it gets very complex. I might have to do some kind of mini sitcom show on this, but essentially he wanted her to have it because it's his faction and she is also the next in line as far as, you know, training and grooming has been for a number of years in politics. It breaks no rules. This is internal party rules. One thing that the Labor Party does do extremely well is I described it this way the other week and someone very much appreciated it because it gave them a bit of context, but they're like a family, but a very, 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 very toxic dysfunctional one where they actually hate each other, 
But yeah. as soon as you come for someone in the family, the whole family will turn on you. Yes. Yeah. And so there is no such thing as weakness in the armor. You don't admit that you did something wrong. Or if you yeah. do, it's like, I'm sorry you feel that way or, you know, whatever. Or I was just trying to do the right thing. Or, you know, like their lines, I will not apologize. Okay. You had the premier come out and turn around and say when it was found that he essentially inappropriately used taxpayer money repeatedly. Right. Yeah. Oh, well, if the federal government hadn't have done it, I wouldn't have needed to do that. That's right. There, there's no, um, it's not values. It's, it's ethics. They just have no ethics. Well, they have an no ethic. Matter, it's just a different sort of ethic. They, they, no, matter what to the family. Do, no matter what you do, no matter what you say to them, they will never, ever, 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 ever vote for you. They will vote for the party. They are bound by that. If they yeah, ever so that, vote, that, that's interesting that you're pointing out that there is a cultural difference between libs and labs. Does that explain a little bit? Huge cultural difference. Huge yeah, cultural does that difference. Ex, does it explain a bit why the libs might resign in shame over a Grange or ICAC investigation, yeah. but the Labor won't? Absolutely. You had the Federal Liberal Party calling for a federal ICAC. When we had one of the biggest IBAC investigations our state has ever seen, the first witness was a federal Labor MP. Do you think they were made to stand down? They got on that stand and sang like a canary for hours, saying that they had engaged in corrupt and misleading conduct for the better part of two decades. From the moment they entered politics, they broke the party's rules and they broke possibly broke a number of laws. Hmm. Do you think they got told to quit? Absolutely not. Hmm. They just went, okay, well, you've been stepped down from this committee. And um, when pre-selection came along, they just crawled off into the corner. So this idea that they care about integrity or any of that it's just complete garbage and people just keep falling for it uh well uh blackrod and arif both say that one of the biggest problems is that the law is not applied equally uh well in this case i find it interesting what we're just discussing now that as i said you have people resigning left right and center with shame and then the labor people won't and i'm wondering if liberals got a bit more slimy like what we're describing do you think that might be the only way for them to survive in this political culture moving forward? I'm thinking about like Matt Guy coming in next year, potentially. I don't necessarily see any benefit out of increasing the problem that exists. I see benefit in providing a genuine opposition to it. Um, I, I find it interesting. I was talking to someone the other day about the Liberal Party and talking about Matthew Guy. And, you know, the reality is, is that most of the time they behave like politicians and kind of like, let's be honest, like they have a stick up their ass. When Matthew Guy does the best and does his best work, same with the rest of them, it's when they're relaxed and they're actually being authentic and typically a little bit worked up about something. The rest of the time, they might as well be robots. That's so true. Not, yeah, so I, well, at least they're the, not relatable. The major parties, certainly. Uh, hey, so ra uh, what's your name? Rancher asks, is Andrews resigning or was that just pre-election BS? Uh, my theory is there's no way he's resigning. He's too cocky. What do you think, Em? No, he's not going anywhere before the election. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all swear, let it rip M. <laughs> you can let it rip on here. <laughs> <laughs> but can I just make the point that one of the reasons the platform that I have does so well is authenticity. Mm. I have had every person who knows me who follows the platform sort of I, like, sort of pre-doing it and they say, I can read the comments in your voice. I can read the comments in your voice. Yeah. It sounds, yeah, well, once you get used it's, to it. Well, it sounds <laughs> like you. And does. If you, when you have that tone that people recognise, that becomes a brand. And the Liberals don't have anything. Like, where is your tone? Don't get me wrong. The Labor Party 
are very cooked with a lot of things, but they do tone well. They do, they understand the niche where they sit. Um, they're good at it. Oh, yeah, they're much better at things like social media and stuff like that. Uh, okay, so we have uh, some, uh, M, M, I think it's Matt, Matt McCarthy. M McCarthy says, is it that the, that the two parties have different ethics or is it that the Liberal and the Labour voter base won't, uh, oh, the Libs think that their voter base won't tolerate it. So that's Lucy saying that. Uh, this is interesting because I had lunch with a Liberal state politician uh, about a week ago. Mm-hmm. And there was this big discussion over why do you and Emily in particular, he was asking about you, why do you like the independents so much? What have they done? You know, they're good on their single issue, but on everything else, they're just votes to be purchased. And so we're having this long, <laughs> long discussion on this. And I, I said, you're quite convincing. I get what you're saying. But at the same time, uh, people just don't want to vote for what the Libs are offering. It just feels okay, so, quite so- fake. I mentioned this at some point a couple of weeks back. There was a very real conversation that I had with a member of the Liberal Party in Victoria last year. So this is long before the federal election, long before the Libs got slaughtered, all that kind of stuff. And I turned around and I, they, we were discussing, you know, their difficulties. Mm-hmm. And they admitted that they knew that they had a, a problem kind of getting through to younger voters, particularly women. Mm-hmm. And I said, I'm a highly engaged young female Mm. in politics and I'm Mm. very unhappy with the performance of the Labor Party right now Mm. and I still don't understand why I would vote for you. Wow. What what more could they do? I will give it to the Liberal Party. They're kind of better at taking criticism than what Labor, well, not Matthew Guy, but, you know, for the most part on average. Well, this is what I said to them, this Member of Parliament, and they said, well, look, we're out there, we can't get as much airtime, we're doing what we can to crucify the Labor government on, on the hospital crisis or whatever. And he said, what uh, more can we do? And I was, I was like, you well, need to go balls to the wall, Kennett. What does that mean? Just what does that mean? Balls to the wall, Kennett. So Kennett used to do ridiculous media stunts to get attention Yeah. in order to get that media airtime that they want. When you have nothing interesting to offer, why, why is the media listening to you? Like what you have to, you have to feed the vultures. Like that's the mm-hmm. best way I can put it. You need to give some meat to the vultures and it has okay. to be interesting. Okay. Otherwise, I just don't cover it. And the more you do that, the better it gets. So be a politician. Do a few stunts. It's not about being a politician. It's about being authentic. I mean, yeah, you look. They are. They're authentically. Jeff, think Kennett they're- got more, Jeff Kennett got more airtime in the lockdowns than the opposition did. He's not even mm-hmm. in politics. And he was in the media more often talking against the government than people who were still in politics. Why? Because he had a, he had a set opinion. He was extremely passionate about it. He was a good speaker. A good, he's good at engaging. And he would often say outrageous shit because he knew how to feed the vultures. You have to understand the game that you're in if you're going to win. Like watching what Matthew Guy does where he gets really like pissy if you say something mean about him. I'm like, well, you're not really going to like being in charge, are you? All right, fair call, fair call. Uh, I'm wondering with this uh, cabinet reshuffle that ALP has done, as much as we all laughed about it and those who follow your platform can see, come on, it's a joke, they've all quit and blah, blah, blah. But And Socialist Barbie's been promoted and all of that. I'm not sure the Libs can land a blow over this. I feel like it's been handed to a platter on them. And I read Daniel Andrews' lines in his press release about we're working for all Victorians and I know it's all crap, but that's more convincing than what I'm hearing out of the Libs. So I, I don't know. I mean, they've only had, in fairness to them, they've had what, a week? Not Yeah, about a week to work out 
No, no, they got appointed on the weekend. Um, who the new ministers are and, and who they're kind of up against. So I, I think it's a bit too early to say that they've not used the opportunity correctly. They have an incredible No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying I'm fearing that that will happen. I'm feeling that the lies oh, from Andrews, yeah. But that's, I guess, to some extent been the case the whole time. Like if he can have the whole state locked up and he's firing everyone and the economy's collapsing and everything else, then... You know, but that being said, a lot of the things that are happening right now, so things like the corruption allegations, the medical system collapsing, those are normally election winners. And they know that. They just, I think, need, you know, I don't want to say necessarily better advice, but someone who just understands how to politically capitalise on the situation in if a they, way that actually gets communicated out outside their little bubble. Yeah, you. I think you're absolutely right. If they lose this election because they fail to politically capitalise on the oh, most yeah. buffet platter served up. If you can't defeat Daniel Andrews this time, like people are dying in hospitals, code red in ambulance, come on. Uh, that would people red in the last week. Yeah, no, zero ambulances available for Melbourne during a code red. That's disgusting. And then they're, and then they're turning around and blaming things like COVID. I'm like... It existed before COVID. If, if, if they lose this, that is like... You guys aren't even trying. Daniel Andrews is ready to lose this election. This is going to be lost because of Liberals if they lose it at all. I think, I think one of the difficulties with the Liberal Party that you get, and one of the things that Labor does well, and it is a fundamental difference in who is part of the party. Liberals are typically Liberals because they like the concept behind the party. They like the policies. They yeah. like what it stands for. You know, they have this sort of holistic idea of what the party represents and they don't understand why people aren't buying into it labor is a fucking cult they understand how to communicate like a fucking cult and it works because the average voter is not particularly politically engaged and is very easy to trick i don't want to interrupt you because you're making a promo for me now keep going <laughs> i don't know hey, how we've this had to wine on a live stream but hey it's friday night and we're <laughs> It's been a week. But the, well, the, the point I want to make here as well is this is what the Greens did really well. Yes. Look at those absolutely stupid memes, memes that they made that went viral where with the chocolate mud cake and, and the everything yeah. else saying, oh, you know, if this is something that you buy, then our plan to tax billionaires isn't going to affect you. How's the cost of living feel when things are more expensive and companies pass on the expensive stuff? Is it good for poor people? No, it's not. They lied to you but they tricked you and they behave like a cult because they overly simplify language, engage you in this idea about this broader perspective thing you don't have to think about. Whereas the Liberal Party's like, well, you should think about this. This is much better. People don't want to think. They want to feel as if they're making the right decision with the minimal amount of intellectual and emotional effort humanly possible with the maximum output from a kind of emotional performance management perspective where they go, look, I'm a good person. I'm voting this way. Wow, look at you. You're on fire tonight, Emily. Okay, so we've had two, long week for me. <laughs> we've had two good suggestions come in for the Liberals. The first is from Irish Kiwi. Says the Liberals need to have their I have a dream moment and lead the people. <laughs> That's actually a really good way of putting it. Yes, they do. We it's lack not... we lack vision of any kind in politics in this country. You ask yeah. anyone, what is the vision for any of the political leaders? What do they want to see the state look like? What do they want to see the country look like? They can't tell you. This is how Albo scraped in with almost no votes, but he beat out ScoMo mm. with incoherent and illogical 
I have a dreams, but he had a dream is the point. And he sold that dream and yeah, Australians voted dream. for it slightly more than they voted for ScoMo. Still only got 30, green, 30 something percent. sold that dream too. The Greens sold that dream. They said, hey, they all these bad things are happening in the country. They were the only political party to talk about things like the natural disasters and saying, oh, well, we'll fix it. They were the only ones to turn around and say, we'll give you free stuff. We'll make it better. We'll whatever. It yep. Our, Irish Kiwi says that uh, it's about selling the dream first. It's not about fixing the ambulances. It's about selling the dream first and then we'll show up with the plan. Yeah, I agree. That's that's. I mean, great. at this point, the dream is to be able to get an ambulance when you call one. So... <laughs> James uh, James has a, a James Hero has a suggestion. Says the libs need a little bit of flair. They can make announcements from a glass container whilst trying to get out of handcuffs, jumping into a small pool of water. That would get some media attention. Hmm. Are they All alive right. at that press conference? <laughs> this that is, would uh, get media attention, sure, but I think that there's possibly some in-between moments you can go for with that. An interesting point by size kid says do the liberals want to lose because it looks like they're just comfortable on the opposition bench with zero responsibility zero stress and good pay that's so true just sit there and throw bombs hey we need to move I, on I will, yeah i will say a bunch of them are actually quite engaged in their local communities they do oh, actually yeah. try quite hard oh there are some incredible ones like ryan smith and warren i've never seen someone so committed uh, committed to the electorate yeah really it's good. so community focused it's unreal too much. I said, mate, you ever want to move up in the political world? You need to stop trying to fix fences for constituents. And he's like, no, I've got to fix the fences. It starts right, with it... the fences, though. Yeah, I know. I'm just saying he needs to get a bit I more know, I know. We're both very about him. With the fact that there just seems to be. For a political party that's existed for so long and people who have such experience in politics, the, the political now seems to just be not quite... Tanique says, can we have that headline for this video when we put it on socials to be what you said, Em? Labor is an effing cult. <laughs> I think I've said it before, to be honest. I, I'm probably just going to keep running with the line. They are a cult. You're never allowed to leave. You can't leave without permission. Blood in, blood out. You can never betray the family or you'll be exiled for life. Once you join, like, that's it. I, what, what's the difference? All right, people, there's too much laughing going on. We need to get into a serious topic. Let's talk about Roe v. Wade. Millions of American women overnight losing their right to abortion after a landmark decision in the Supreme Court, the highest court in the US. Reaction has been fast and in many cases furious. This is a live look at Washington DC where thousands are right now protesting this historic decision outside the Supreme Court. Many also celebrating demonstrations happening right across the country. President Joe Biden has spoken this morning outraged at what he calls an extreme ruling. The court literally taking America back 150 years. This is a sad day for the country, in my view. But it doesn't mean the fight's over. Let's go live to U.S. correspondent Amelia Adams, who's at a protest in Los Angeles this morning. Morning, Millie. Uh, what's happening there? 
Oh, look, Charles, we knew this was coming. The Supreme Court leaked this decision last month, but it has not taken the sting out of the shock and the anger that's being felt right around this country after the Supreme Court justices in a majority ruling overturned the 1973 law, Roe v Wade, and the implications will be enormous and immediate. It puts abortion laws in the hands of the states, and we know that 26 American states, so half the country roughly, uh, are going to move to ban or severely restrict women's rights to have an abortion and 13 states will do so immediately. So within the next 30 days and in fact just in the last couple of hours a handful of states, uh, Republican led, have already ceased abortions from today. Places like Texas, Missouri, um, Kentucky. Your blue states, democratic states like California where we are, um, abortions will remain legal and accessible. So the expectation is that millions of American women will be forced to travel interstate uh, to seek access to female reproductive health care. Uh, and of course that's simply not logistically or financially possible for so many people. The US President, as you mentioned, has slammed the court's decision which will impact more than 36 million American women of childbearing age. All right, so in the US, Roe v. Wade, there's everyone jumping up and down on either side, but let me just give you a really factual overview quickly of what actually happened in the judgment. So the uh, Supreme Court of the US, the highest court in that land, overturned an old case, 50 years old, which back 50 years ago found that the 14th Amendment in the US, the right to privacy, includes the right for women to have uh, an abortion. So mm -hmm. since then, we've built a whole lot of our society and our legal precedents and so on on the idea put forth and confirmed by the Supreme Court that the Constitution of the United States contains within it a right to abortion. The current Supreme Court has come on and... Yeah, that's... Yeah. Well, that's a simple way of saying it. I know there's a lot more nuance, but we've built yeah. a lot of law, a lot of cases, a lot of rights, a lot of, a lot of things built on Roe, Roe v. Wedd. Uh, yeah, yeah. And it's an extension of the 14th Amendment. It doesn't actually say every right to an abortion, but they interpreted not, the right to let's privacy. Just be clear. It's not actually an extension. It was interpreted in a particular case yeah. as being an extension, which created a precedent By for the finding Court. cases implying. So it wasn't actually, and this is where it, it, I'm only going to talk about this from a factual perspective because the factual parts are driving me absolutely, absolutely bonkers with most of this. Um, but please continue your summary because we will no doubt get into that. Yeah, yeah. So uh, they've so the current Supreme Court, which is more conservative than before, uh, mm -hmm. had a lot, a lot, and has come along and said, uh, "Hang on, no, at law, this is wrong. It doesn't actually confer that right in the Constitution." And and they've overturned Roe and another case called Casey, and they've said at the end of the day. Uh, the power to make rights concerning abortion must return to the states. So what we're what is going to happen is already constitution. Yeah, what is going to happen is already happening, and that is states are departing. Some are going, no, no, abortion's legal. Some are tightening things like that. Some are loosening, like LA, California is doubling down and is making it easier. There's they're, they're going to have this massive separation, a decentralization of rules between states, which is why now it's like I need to travel to this state to have an abortion or I want to live in this state because they ban abortion. So there's this big dis, uh, diversity happening amongst the states now. So that's all I wanted to say about Roe v. Wade to get people up to date so that, so that they don't we can go into now with you, Anne, but I just didn't want them to listen to either side thinking that it's all this, this propaganda. They think that the Constitution says you can have abortion and that's all they think or they think well, that the judges came along now and said no abortion is immoral but they didn't say that either uh, the amount of 
inaccurate information going around or lack of understanding. And let's be really clear, I don't actually blame individuals for this. I completely blame the education system Mm. who fundamentally do not understand the legal role of a constitution and what is actually written in there. So all those memes talking about, you know, guns have more rights than, than, you know, women to have abortions. Yes, because it is literally written word for word in the constitution. That's how constitutions work. Australia is exactly the same. So the way that America has just shifted away from a single precedent from a judge in a court finding to the states having to legislate, that is exactly the way that it works in Australia. Abortion was legalised at different rates, at different times, in different states. And I think people would be shocked to see how many times it was actually a Liberal government, not a Labor government, who legalised it here. I was shocked. That I'm just saying that's the reason I remember it. The thing that really bothers me is people talking about we have a constitutional right to blah, blah, blah. The whole point that they were trying to make, and this does not mean that I agree with this decision, nor do I think it was irrespective of that, it was done fucking terribly. But people should be asking why these states did not legislate this previously. So all of a sudden it ends and it's still legal in some states. Why is that the case? Because the lawmakers knew that they had the right to legalise it. The, the role that courts play, the role they're meant to play is you have the Constitution, which is a document that cannot be changed by anyone but the public. Government cannot change the Constitution on their own. Courts cannot change the Constitution on their own. It sits as an independent document. So this idea that the courts have somehow amended the meaning of the Constitution or, mm. you know, created a law, the courts can't do that. Government creates laws. Courts interpret and uphold those laws. And then you have things like the Constitution. They are separate, entirely separate mechanisms. And they're meant to be things like where the courts hold government to account or they try and work to interpret what the government has done. One of the main things that they sort of talked about when they overturned the decision was this is actually not our role. The courts can't make laws. They cannot make laws. They can make precedents. And they're not the same thing. You're overlooking judicial activism, which is where the, through the interpretation of the law, judges can make law. They're not actually making law, but they're making case law, right? Correct. So this they're is making what- law, but there is a distinct difference. And it is then the responsibility of those states where Section 10 of the Constitution makes it clear that essentially you have the way the Constitution works, the way the courts work, and everything goes to the states. That's right. And Same as here. Yeah. Speaking, the Roe versus Wade finding hit an incredibly grey area. And one of the reasons why was there was more, I think, debates coming up about what could be legalised, what couldn't, whatever. And the court went, well, it's not up to us what also defines an abortion. So one of the issues was also people saying, well, is it, you know, four weeks? Is it 10 weeks? Is it 12 weeks? Is it full term? Is it whatever? And the courts just went, you need to go decide this for yourselves. This is not our role. And everyone lost their minds. And I think it's one of those things that, it can be an important lesson for people in terms of, you know, understanding the system. And I wish that there was better education for people available because if you don't understand, like if you don't understand how it works, you're never going to change it. A lot of people who are angry about this and reposting those memes about, you know, guns have more rights. Yes, because it's in the constitution. And if you don't understand what it takes to change a constitution or put, you know, take something out or put something in, how, how can you ever actually make change? Yep, I agree with you. Education is key, whatever side you want that to go down. But we are living in interesting times and we're not even going to go into the morality of the politics of it, but just legally speaking, 
just purely legally, I think this is uh, the correct decision in the sense that it was a bit of judicial activism back in the 50 it, years it, it ago. Was it was definitely judicial activism. And I think the blame should lie from people instead on the states that knew that these lawmakers know they understand how the system works. They, they understand that there was nothing in their state to protect it. That's and it's right. worth mentioning that Texas still managed to pass laws banning abortion past a certain age back in January 2021 called the Heartbeat Bill. Roe versus Wade didn't stop that because it's not actually a law and it's not actually part of the Constitution. And that's been the problem, where states start making things that are then conflicting and everyone goes, well, how does this interpret against Roe versus Wade? And all of a sudden the courts went, well... Well, it's it's completely undemocratic for... Uh... For for the set for the Supreme Court judges to either say you have a right to abortion or say you don't have a right to abortion. So undemocratic. And the yes. irony is, is that everyone's kind of agreeing on that. You know, a lot yes. a lot of people who who uh, are very for pro choice um, are turning and saying, well, court doesn't have a right. And it's kind of interesting because the other side are turning around going, yeah, that's what they said that they don't have a right to decide that that it needs to go to people who are elected. Yeah, but that's not um, what they mean. And with the pro-choice argument is, is they really just don't want abortion access to go down. And this mm. is the net result. Some states will bring access oh, absolutely. down. Absolutely. And that's that's a completely different, that's a completely different argument. You know, you've got those statistics that the abortion rate between countries that offer safe abortion and those that don't, there is no statistical difference almost whatsoever in the actual abortion rates, only that those that are performed safely. And so, you know. But they're being dishonest then in their argument. Pardon? You're right. They're both agreeing on the same thing that judges shouldn't have the ability to determine, but they're being dishonest because they're using it uh, in this case. Oh, for both their of side. Them are saying this, it's, it's insane to me. Both sides are basically saying the same thing at each other. And it's I one of the reasons I just want nothing to do with it. Fair enough. Uh, in closing, though, I think the Conservatives are correct on the legal side of this. Uh, it, it is more democratic to have your lawmakers, whether that's at a federal level or at a state level, to action your will whatever your will is make a law okay and i i would say for any australians obviously mostly australians watching this that's how it works here um like we have it by state so this technically brings america in line with the same way that we've set abortions by state many of which did them at different times so yes people would have to travel between states to get them um the time frames between certain states would probably be a bit longer than what people realized obviously it's long in the past now but Mm. it is still something to keep in mind um but, yeah, in, in terms of, I guess, understanding how it works, that kind of helps. If, if you want to make a change, understanding what you can actually do to do that is, is a I, I like it this way, Em. I like the federalism, the competitiveness, and we don't have it here as much between the states as in the US. We tend to cooperate a lot. You know, for example, the gun reform laws in 97, we just cooperate a lot between states. But I do like competitive nature between our states, and I think we've just been through lockdown season where it would have been nice to have an option where one state, you know, Bin Chicken did a little bit of that, but it would have been nice if we had a bit more competition, a bit of difference in policy around the country to test and see what works. I mean, Sweden, for yeah. example, is produ- proving a good control group for Europe. But, but Amer- American politics is so different to Australian politics. And one yes. of the key drivers of that is patriotism. We are not a particularly patriotic country. Um, mm. I mean, Christ, half our leaders can't even tell you what it truly means to be Australian or, or you know, what this country stands for. And so, you know, we don't have that polarisation of beliefs. Um quite so much. We're also far more spread out. I would like more, frankly. I would like more competition between the states. Uh, okay, there we go. Let's stop talking about abortion. Let's talk about okay. tyranny. 
there's a great quote. I'll do it after this little intro, all right? But we're going to talk about tyranny and how it's limited by the people. Okay, famous quote. Uh, the limits of a tyrant. Sorry? This is such a cheery show. Okay, well... Drink more wine. Great quote. Uh, great quote is the limits of a tyrant are prescribed by the endurance of those whom they oppress. And mm-hmm. this sounded like a good idea until I saw it in action. I'm looking around uh, at following your page and others and noticing that the politicians move when the pressure mounts enough and yes. lockdown policies fall away as the people say through their collective polling actions, media, they say no here, but no farther. Uh, I think it's true that the limits of a tyrant are prescribed the endurance of those whom they oppress. And the the reality is people don't think that's the case, but we could be pushing back on a whole lot of things. So I want to raise a few issues. So we have, for example, people are freaking out over facial recognition being used in Kmart and Bunnings without people's permission. I had a company which did facial recognition. I know how that works. And my expert opinion on that, having developed some of those algorithms in our company, is that what Kmart and Bunnings are doing is very dodgy. That's very dodgy. The, the data, your facial, your face print is so unique to you. It's like a fingerprint. It's not exactly the same, but it is way more unique than you realize. And they are collecting a mass of data. It's like being fingerprinted every time you go into Bunnings. This is mm. the fingerprint of the future. It's so wrong. Indonesia now is using the COVID-19 tr- track and tracing app to distribute cooking oil. Yeah, they check that. So you've got the right amount of cooking oil in Indonesia because there are shortages. China stopped a bank run and protest after a Chinese bank shut down. All, we, we reported on this in a previous episode, two episodes ago. They want the Chinese bank shut down companies and individuals' bank accounts so they couldn't pay people, they couldn't access their savings. So they plan to travel across China to the Hainan province, I think it was. Uh, and before they could even travel, uh, China identifies these people who are going to do this protest and mm. simply turns their health pass from a tick into a red cross, and suddenly they can't use public transport anymore. These little things, you could argue, it's only a little thing, it's only a little thing, it's only a little thing, but the whole no, point is this. None of this, well, some people are the mainstream, maybe not people watching our channels, but people go, oh, look, it's only a small little thing, it's not the end of the world, it's not 1984, it's not Brave New World, but these things come in slice by slice, and the only way they stop is when Choice Magazine gets up and says, oi, Kmart Bunnings, that's wrong, or when we get up collectively and say, no, you can't uh, stop us from doing whatever, or we reject the new mask mandates that are supposedly going to come back in because of our escalating cases in Australia, uh, we need to be strong. If we're going to reject it, we need to be strong and watch the dominoes turn, watch them fall. There's multiple examples around the world of countries or regions that when the government tried to make those rules, they literally just told them where to shove it and then the rules disappeared. Yeah, but they oh, we would think, oh, they're crazy backworld countries. But I, we saw it here. You documented it so um, often. Right the when the things- pressure... One of, one of the places that happened was in Russia. I mean, obviously, you know, pre oh, okay. what Russia's doing now. But, you know, they tried to um, do, I think, a, a Vax passport in the city. And all the residents went, nah, not doing it. Just stopped going to all the restaurants. They just went, this is unacceptable. Businesses don't the government. You have to lift this. The government did. Like, it, if you just stop listening and you just don't do it or you, you protest against it, it goes away. It does. We had someone following us from in France and they're under Macron before the lockdowns came in. And they gave an interesting report to me. They said they noticed that Macron was sounding like Ron DeSantis. 
This is before the lockdowns in France. Mm-hmm. And he was saying, no, you can't take away people's individual liberty without, you need restriction. He was making all of these Ron DeSantis type moves. And then when the mm-hmm. topic of a vaccine passport came up, um, Macron in France floated the idea of, no, that's not democratic. That's, that's not ethical. Mm-hmm. We can't have vaccine passports. Now, of course, we see how ridiculously authoritarian France got under Macron and he started saying, I'm going to, I want to piss off those anti-vaxxers. And he became the opposite of what he was. And this person from France reporting to us was saying it's because when he came out with the first suite of DeSantis style policies in the media, he was slammed. You're mm-hmm. putting us in danger. So and in other part words, of, part of this is to do with the media. Um, I don't know it if is. you recall but hang on, this. Before you, before you go to the media, the fact that the people rose up and said no caused Macron to switch. Yes. So there was a, it was one of my favorite kind of segments. It was on the People's Project and I described what I essentially called the hamster wheel. And mm-hmm. it is the relate, linked relationship between the media, politicians and the public mm-hmm. and how that hamster wheel was working during the lockdowns and feeding that cycle. And until something gets in and, and stops that wheel spinning, then it, it continues on that momentum. And that's what we saw with all the lockdown stuff. You know, the media would never run anything against it. The mm. clickbait worked, you know, people ate into it and then they would continue to click on it. And the politicians realised they could get a lot of attention out of it. And it was just this toxic little hamster wheel that we were all stuck on and that will be looked back historically as one of the wildest human behavioural experiments known to mankind. Because a lot of what we were being presented was so inherently biased and so inherently one-sided, but as a result, that was forming public perception, which was performing their, uh, forming their opinions, and that would therefore got fed back up into what they wanted from their politicians. So you never and had people standing up; it just reinforced itself. You you kind of need that critical mass to to change, and this is what we saw with everything. This is what we saw with um, when they magically lifted the rules because no one was listening. Um, or, you know, they, they tried to let the races go ahead. There was outcry. They, they turned them off. They tried to, um, there's a bunch of stuff they tried to do and then they either ripped it off or they changed it or whatever. And so, you know, I've said this the whole time, the media controls politics. And so the role of the media played in this entire process is really, really key, almost more key than the politicians themselves. And when it comes to having conflicts of interest, it's, easier to have them as the media and it's easier to hide them as the media as opposed to a politician or just claim that you're doing your job as a media you're just telling the news but really you're just enabling that cycle totally and you know i I would talk about this sometimes that i follow the press pack in victoria and i follow them on twitter and one of the things that you can see is you can see what they comment on you can see what they like you can hear the questions that they ask in the presser they all believe the government pretty much there was none of them that had a genuine disbelief mindset in the majority of the behaviours that were going on with the government. They formed part of the hamster wheel. And that was a problem because they're meant to be there as, as sort of like, you know, the fourth estate. And what happens when you lose that? What happens is you get what happened around the world. And we have a population who's not ornery to begin with, like the United States are. So uh, just to go a little bit no, deeper. into what- We love our tall poppy. We do, and to yeah, but but less ornery, right? So we we get along, and we don't sort of kick up a fuss like Americans to say, "Why should I stand in this line?" Make me uh, to push your analogy a little bit deeper. If it takes a critical mass of people to stand up and stop a tyrant, which is what we're seeing, 
what we've just covered. How do you get that in Australia when only a few people, as many as of, of us as there were saying this is wrong, we're a minority. Most people didn't, didn't push back until when? Like we kicked up a fuss over the races because it was dangerous. So that's just fear-based. But No, no, no. The races were because it was outrageous. They proposed to have like 100 people at the races when people couldn't even open their small businesses. Oh, so that's a fairness thing. That's not fair. Oh, yeah. People were like, that's bullshit. Even the media was like, what the hell are you doing? They're like, oh, no, 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 it's not safe now. No, no, we won't be doing that. So how do we get people to do that more often, to call it out? Because we, we get mean- We've had a few thousand people protesting or 100,000, whatever it was. Great. But most people are sitting at home just listening to Channel 9. And, I'm try- and after two years of doing this, I just feel like more than ever, we're just in this happy little minority. They don't need, they don't understand why they need to care or what to do about it. Those typically are the two things. They don't understand why they need to care and they don't understand what to do about it. You know, one of my biggest issues that I have always had with, I guess, colloquially the movement is this fear-based messaging of, oh my gosh, this is so bad. This is so bad. This is going to happen. This is going to happen. I'm like, okay, so what are you going to do about it? Like getting yourself into this little kind of tailspin is not going to necessarily help you or anyone else. Um, Does that sort of make sense? Mm. You want people to listen to you and you want them to have change, then you need to explain to them really simply why they need to listen. You need to explain to them what change looks like. Well, just in our last few minutes, four minutes, uh, I've I've got Matthias Desmond coming on discernible interviews soon, and he came up with the idea of mass formation psychosis. And there oh. are some other, yeah. So he came up with that, and so he's a good. There's a few others who talk about a similar kind of thing, but just this idea of herd mentality, group think, what we've seen. And uh, Gigi Foster, who's been on a few times with us, has said the same thing on my channel. People go into psychoses, group thinks as a group, but they come out one by one. And so the solution something that I've spoken about once or twice, um, I'm fairly certain it was the Stanford prison experiment. I've just Googled it really quickly and I'm fairly certain it is people were given fake social roles in an experiment and they committed to them so quickly and so incredibly that they started committing atrocities against other human beings that they had to end the experiment. And that was fake. But they started to come out one by one. So some of the students would come up to Philip, Philip Zimbardo, who was at Stanford at the time running the experiment and said, I can't do this anymore. And he tried to convince them to stay in. And so one by one, they broke. And eventually Philip um, stopped the experiment. But one by one is the point coming out. And so one of the way, what these people like Matthias say the solution is to any kind of group thing is for people to speak. Because the number one thing they want to stop you is doing is speaking because ideas have power. So we really need people to be around the dinner table. If you believe what Daniel Andrews did to businesses was wrong, or if you believe it's not ethical, what he's doing with corruption in the state, the number one thing you can do is just say it. People are too quiet. They're just sitting there saying, I don't want to rock the boat. They're rocking the boat and they're ruining our lives. They're ruining our state. They're ruining our businesses and they're ruining our country in some areas. You need to speak and say, no, that's not ethically right. I disagree. Be bold. And one by one, having these conversations, we can break through the psychosis. I completely agree. I think the difficulty just comes that it's really hard to to be in that position. You need to be very confident and set in your values. Um, That's what why. That's why I'm encouraging people to do it. All right. We've just got a couple of minutes left. And let's just answer some questions before we finish off. Uh, some people very kindly joining us today for our first interactive episode of the People's Project. We're limited to one hour, so it's going to end in three and a half minutes. Thank you for joining us. 
everyone on local, uh, if you're watching this not on locals, you need to go over to cinematlocals.com. We need to head over to Voice for Victoria's Patreon and check out what they're doing over there to make sure they continue doing their work. Some of these questions are, do you think Dan Langers will win? Keep these answers short if you can. EJ says, do you think he'll win? There's two questions in that. Do I think Daniel Andrews will win his seat back? Not necessarily. Do I think Labor will win? Currently, I think that they may scrape in, yes. Ouch. Uh, group think versus individual opinions. Very good. I'll take that as a statement. Is that what he said? I'll take that as a statement. Uh, someone else asked that. I think social media is the biggest player of holding these politicians accountable. Social media, you know, we've just come off a three-day ban on Facebook and shadow banning is real. They actually sent us a message saying your post is now being depressed by this amount in the feed. We'll show it to less people and so on. Uh, Social media, I'm not sure about that, you know. A huge amount of people do not receive their basic information off social media. A huge huge amount do, but there is still a lot of people that that watch legacy media. Like this is one of the reasons why PR guy only existed in a corner of the internet and now he doesn't. You know, we need peer pressure. We need peer, we need social, good old social peer pressure, family, friend, unit, circles. Yeah. Oh, do you support of, Dan to you? Oh, you're one of them. Oh, that's he's hor- he's horrific. Make it uncool. The only reason that change will occur is if it becomes essentially socially unacceptable to support them. You know, there's a really good account going now. Remember when I think the Liberals kicked it off, but some other people are doing like Liberate Victoria and a few other accounts are saying, like, remember when Dan Andrews said, and then they put mm-hmm. the thing and you go, oh my God, he said that. Yeah, that's right. Let's not forget. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, the much. Liberals are really, uh, really pushing the whole remember come November thing. It's the only thing we can do. Thank you for joining us, uh, Emily, in our last 60 seconds. Uh, yeah. what, you've got, what have you got coming up in your world in voice? I'm not going to fit that in the 30 seconds you've given me. <laughs> but more will be coming out in the next two weeks. What's this big thing you said? Hey, there's something big going to drop. Was that the potential by-election? Yep. Okay, Which it didn't come off, unfortunately. Someone got bought out. Somebody got bought out. Yes, this always happens with Labor. All right, everyone, have a wonderful week. We'll see you next week. I think next week we're being joined by Tom McDonald, who had to rearrange himself. He's with us next week, live in studio from the Melbourne Demons. And... Uh, I have no nothing pithy to say for them in the last minutes except uh, don't don't settle. I'm sick of people settling and giving up. It's a good ending. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, guys. Bye.